Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of the galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Scott Trowbridge, portfolio creative executive and studio leader at Walt Disney Imagineering, who helped spearhead Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and the land we now know as Black Spire Outpost. It was a huge honor to learn more about his background, story, and experiences as him and his team created a tangible Star Wars world from scratch. This is Talking Bay 94, Episode 73, Scott Trowbridge. Uh, I was really lucky to be able to go to Galaxy's Edge East over December with my family for Christmas, which was great. And so I am glad to be able to have experienced it firsthand. And uh, before even diving into to Galaxy's Edge, I would first just love to to start with your experience with the saga, whether growing up or uh, when you were first able to watch it. How did it inspire you? What did it really do for you then? Yeah, well, I was like, you know, I was pretty young when the first movie came out, but I did see it in theaters, right? And it was like one of those probably one of the first movies that I saw, you know, in the theater and went, I mean, literally went back to watch it a few times because it was so impactful. You know, and I, and I remember thinking even at the time, you know, as a, you know, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wasn't really thinking about all those those kinds of questions. But I do remember thinking at what a fundamental different this movie made in the world of storytelling, pop culture, my kind of life. Because it, it, it really, it really for the first time, I remember feeling impacted by this could be a real place. It's so, you know, that what was brought to life on screen, kind of this slightly kind of grungy, kind of retro futuristic place. I mean, it's a, it's a long time ago, but it, there's flying cars and robots and you know, <laughs> spaceships and things. Was such a um, an eye opener for what could be and the sense of potential and the sense of anything is possible that it for sure became a, a, a touchstone for me and a kind of a pivot point for me to be thinking about like, and then, and then, and then to have these amazing stories told in those environments, right. With these right. amazing characters. For me, it definitely became a, a kind of a catalyst for, I want to be, I want to figure out how to give people those kinds of experiences and to deliver those kinds of stories and to make those kinds of fantastic things real for me and for the, for the rest of the world. And I, you know, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going to figure out how that's done, right? I'm going to figure out how yeah. to make the impossible possible, basically. Yeah, it's really interesting to me, especially because then the next step of your journey is going to USC Film School, uh, much like George Lucas did and in all of the famous Bay Area filmmakers that he was friends with and worked with. I would be curious if any of that schooling and education and experiences that you had at USC kind of then came into play, especially like you're talking about building these environments and creating things from nothing that really then embodied and made physical these experiences we've all had in movies. Yeah, for sure. You know, again, you know, I grew up in, in St. Louis in the Midwest, so there wasn't like there was strong entertainment culture kind of mm-hmm. thing happening, you know, when I was growing up. Um, and so, you know, you go in and you talk to your high school guidance counselor and, you know, you're like, <laughs> and they kind of look at you like you have two heads, you know, and so... <laughs> For, for for me, supportive, but also like, I don't know, I, I don't know, film school, theater school, film, I don't know. <laughs> to me, those really were the two kind of options. It's like, you know, 
it was either it was something that was about storytelling in a physical environment. And so that was either it felt like either film school or it felt like, you know, some version of theater school. And for me, the choice to go into film was actually more driven by, I think, the tools of the storytelling and the technology, because I've always had one kind of foot in the, you know, one interest in the in the realm of storytelling and one foot in the realm of how do I use new techniques and new technology to kind of be a proxy for magic, right? And for creating the, again, all, all back towards that idea of kind of creating the impossible. I mean, there's, there's something really cool and magical about a theatrical experience where you're in a space with characters that are being performed, right? And you're having this shared context and this shared moment, you know, because you're really in the environment. It's not mediated by a screen. It's not mediated by some, by a headset or some other kind of thing. You're, you're really in that space having a real experience at, at, a, at a moment in time. And I love that about, I do love that about like kind of, you know, the, the strength of what is possible in, in live theater. But I also really loved the tools and kind of techniques and cheats that you get in the, from the narrative forms of, of, uh, of cinema. And at that time, I mean, the, you just talked about it perfectly, right? I mean, like, this is this is a time when when George Lucas was reinventing the world of special effects, right? And, and he very much... Uh, seems to have taken the 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 tack that if a if a technology doesn't exist to do what I need to tell my story, I guess I have to invent it, um, and that you know resonates very strongly with me. Because, <laughs> right. You know, um, and so I always kind of felt like that was probably more the direction. And so even though even though what I really wanted to do was something that kind of like blended the worlds of kind of film cinematic storytelling and, and, and physical real world storytelling. I didn't know enough about, I didn't know that that existed until later. So I said, oh, I guess I'm going to go to, you know, I guess I'm going to go to film school, I guess. And then kind of figure out, well, what, what do I think is the best school to go to? It pretty much seemed like it was at that time, probably still, I think it still is, was USC. And so that's kind of where I set my sights and literally, you know, like drove to Los Angeles for the first time as a, you know, incoming student hadn't visited the campus, hadn't really done, you know, I was just like, I, I, that's my course. That's mm -hmm. where I want to go. And, and then did continue to bounce around a little bit between film and theater, um, trying to find, you know, trying to kind of get the best of both worlds. And it was, it wasn't actually until I kind of stumbled upon this, this idea of, you know, of, of, of theme parks and theme park design where it really hit on, the, it was the sweet spot. It was, it really was and is the best of both worlds. We get to create these physical places that bring stories to life, you in the context, right? Unmediated by screens or by any other limitation. You're really in these spaces, but we get to use all the amazing, cool, you know, techniques and, and technologies to bring stories to life in ways that, yes, you're in a real space, but you're having an experience you couldn't possibly really be having because you're experiencing these things or seeing these things or interacting with these things that don't exist in the quote-unquote real world. So it was really not until I kind of found that, you know, the world of immersive entertainment design and theme parks that I kind of like, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is the thing I was looking for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I do love that part of your, because if you look at your career and you look at your experiences leading up to especially building out Galaxy's Edge, that idea of improv, especially the way with you working with Groundlings and the live theater experiences that you've had, really then come into play in a very full force 
with what's expected of cast members at Galaxy's Edge and just people working in the stores and, and trying to build out a fully fledged experience where it's pretty much a 12 hour improv show every single day, but buffered by these, like you're saying, technological achievements that are making it all even more believable. Yeah, I mean, I think the key there is if we want you to, if we want the, you know, it's a, it's an, in, you know, everything is always an invitation to engage. Never, an, never, it should never be an obligation, right? So, but there's an invitation for you to, you know, yeah, and in, in the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge um, example, you know, the citizens of Black Spire Outpost, who, you know, are working there, right? They mm-hmm. they have jobs just like just like we do, and <laughs> you know. They commute to the, you know, however they commute to get to to the outpost from whatever from wherever on Batu they live. Um, you know, it is it's it is it's an attempt to make everything feel real and believable, and to invite you to be able to kind of integrate your reality into, uh, you know, as part of this invitation for you to engage in a Star Wars experience um, at whatever level you want to whatever level you know a guest wants to i mean even then before diving into galaxy's edge i'd love to talk a little bit about just your early work in imagineering and any lessons you might have learned during that that then you were able to to apply when working on even a huge scale like black spire outpost yeah so i mean i came to disney after having already been working in the kind of immersive entertainment design field for for a number of years Mm -hmm. I, i i did a bunch of projects at um I mean, I, I led the creative group at, at Universal Studios for, for a number of years before coming to Disney. Um, so I'd already had a lot of, of a fair amount of experience in, in creating things. And when I came to Disney, um, I was kind of looking for something, for something different. And when eventually Disney called and said, hey, we, you know, we hear you may be looking to do something. The, the opportunity was to, to kind of like think, I, I, could you play a role in the world of technology development and kind of leading the R&D group or more in the creative development side and kind of leading the Blue Sky, kind of what we call the Blue Sky Studio, kind of like the think tank, right? A create kind of a creative think tank. And it really made sense to me. And in conversations, the conversation about, you know, me joining Disney took, took a fair amount of time. So because I wasn't looking to just jump into something over that course of that time, it became clear that the real answer was to do both of those things to both lead the, R&D group and to also shepherd a lot of that blue sky creative thinking that was happening because I mean, those two things very naturally feed each other, right? Mm-hmm. New, new technology, you know, and, and techniques enable new kinds of storytelling and, you know, new storytelling makes demands upon new technology. So, you know, that it was a very, very clear um, virtuous cycle as far as I was concerned. And so me coming to Disney actually was in more of an overall development role initially than it was then in kind of working on any specific projects um, at the outset. Now those, those came later as ideas kind of came up that it kind of felt where it kind of felt appropriate that I would carry them all the way through. But my initial work was mostly just in the kind of like the strategic kind of creative development side of things, enabling our other amazingly talented Imagineers to create better stories and experiences. Out of that, those years of development, we we kicked, you know, we, we played around with many of the, I mean, the DNA of a lot of our current experiences, things you things you can find in Galaxy's Edge, things you'll find in our new Marvel Avengers campus, things you're going to you find in other, a lot of the DNA of, a lot of the DNA of those experiences uh, you can find in some of the early experimentation and research and development that we are always doing in Imagineering, because uh, we're always, you know, trying to kind of like, you know, again, 
kind of in following George's example a little bit, turns out that to tell the stories that we often want to tell, it requires us to invent some of the technology and the techniques to do it. So that's just kind of our, you know, I mean, we, we only invent what we have to, if we can, if we can take advantage of stuff that already exists in the world. And there is such an amazing amount of stuff that doesn't exist in the world. That's easier for us. uh, I think in, in general, but, but sometimes you just have to roll up the sleeves and invent something new, which we're not afraid to do. Yeah, no, and I love that. And I think that's also why Lucas especially has had such a close relationship with Disney and Imagineering for so long. I think Star Tours is a great example of that merging so early on that's in right. trying to figure out what Star Wars would look like in a theme park. And, and even the movies, the prequels, for instance, could only really be done during that 1999-2005 period because of the technology finally being created and available for him to use. I would love to to dive into that blue sky period that you were referring to a little bit earlier and the strategic kind of way that you had to go about creating a brand new Star Wars world and a lot of the work that you did with Lucasfilm and with like Doug Chang, for instance, who's just such a, a master of, of the galaxy while still trying to create something that felt unique to both Disney and to Star Wars. When Disney and Lucas, you know, acquired Lucasfilm in 2000. Well, early 2010, so what, like almost 10 years ago now? Um, The, um, you know, I think it was a real natural fit uh, inside inside the company, especially, you know, when you think about like George as George Lucas as a a guy who wanted to tell stories, um, wanted to reinvent and innovate forms of storytelling and forms of production. You know, you can find a lot of uh, parallels to Walt Disney himself in that, who, you know, very similarly wanted to tell, you know, stories that hadn't been seen before, create worlds that hadn't been seen before. And sometimes that meant, you know, that meant, um, inventing the tools of production to make it happen. In addition to the kind of storytelling that I think Star Wars kind of represents, which is this idea, you know, the meaning of hope and the meaning of family and the importance of how do you weigh capability with responsibility, those, those kinds of yeah. things felt very much in terms of those kinds of storytelling, very much in line with, uh, uh, you know, I think the, the best Disney examples of stories. So combine that with Doug Chang and, and the art team at Lucasfilm, they are a secret weapon of, you know, of awesomeness. They really are, yeah. you know, I mean, following in the footsteps of Macquarie and some of the other, you know, concept designers that, you know, that originally kind of like ideated this world, you know, being able to partner um, and have as part of the team people like Doug and Eric Timmons and so many others that have been that have participated in the creation of Galaxy's Edge from the beginning, being able to have their participation is just as you know, and being and having them as part of the team has been just fantastic. Um, and they still are part of the team. You know, we we didn't build Galaxy's Edge and then we're kind of like done with it. We're still creating new new content around it. So it is, you know, it is kind of a, a living, breathing thing. And having having those people who can who just live and breathe what is and isn't, you know, good Star Wars design is just is just fantastic. And and that was really important because you know very early on we made a choice. One of the things that became clear in all of that kind of R&D work that we were doing, you know, and this has been something that I've been, you know, personally passionate about for forever, is that idea of taking our audiences, our guests, and transitioning them from a pure spectator role to more of a participant role, um, or at least there's an, an invitation to engage more, right? Um, and 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 so to do that, if we're going to ask you to engage and participate or invite you to become part of a Star Wars story. It has to be a story that has room for you. 
right? And so pretty early on, you know, I mean, some of the some of the immediate assumptions would be like, oh, we're going to go build Tatooine, we'll go build Mos Eisley, we'll go build, you know, these places that I have seen in the films where where iconic story moments have happened. And the the problem there is we know the stories that happen on Tatooine. We know Luke's story. Um, and we know that we're not in it, mm-hmm. right? There's no real room for us in that story. So we wanted to build a place that left room for us as participants. And that meant building a place that was, that was filled with storytelling potential um, that we have not yet discovered. Mm-hmm. And so for us, that pretty quickly became, well, we're building a new place, right? A place that is in its very heart and soul, a place that speaks to the opportunity and the potential for adventure, I mean, I think actually Tatooine is a good example. If we think about Tatooine as an environment, you know, the environments are always a reflection of, you know, the, I mean, the environments themselves are almost characters in the story. They play a role in the storytelling. You know, we first meet Luke on Tatooine, this bleak, desolate, absolutely flat, you know, empty environment, right? I mean, and this is you know, a reflection of, on where, where Luke is at, right? He's, he's, lear- he's yearning for adventure. He's, lear- he's yearning for something to happen. And our environment of Black Spire Outpost is no different, right? It, it speaks to the story we want it to embody, which is this idea of there's adventure around every corner. You never know what's going to happen. You never, you, what's going to happen next. You don't know who you're going to run into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is a place where you can kind of choose to be who you want to be. And so that kind of remote outpost on the edge of wild space became our, you know, most natural environment to, to, to host these stories and host these experiences. But then, but then we had to figure out, well, you know, how are we going to build a brand new, you know, new to us anyway, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's been, it's been there for thousands and thousands of years, but right. new to us. How do we craft this new planet that at once feels, it, it feels like we're discovering it for the first time? But it also feels like it's it's been part of Star Wars forever. Yeah, and that that's where the hard work comes in. Yeah, and I mean it, it worked. And I would love to dive even a little bit further into that, which is the the canon aspects of Batu and of Black Spire Outpost uh, aren't required, right? For instance, like when I went, I was doing the app and and running around, but then my dad was able to walk around with an alcoholic blue milk and just enjoy it and and you know and have a different experience while still being in that same environment. And I would be very curious to hear what that process was of working closely with books and comics and like the upcoming ILM X-Lab VR experience, right? And really crafting a a story around Batu that felt earned, but also something that anyone could just jump into. Yeah, I mean, I I think that you're you're hitting on a key need for us in the way we craft the storytelling, which is that people are going to come to this place with different levels of expectation, with different levels of desire to engage and even within the same you know travel party you and your dad right you're going to come with a different maybe a, a wanting a different level of how deep you dive mm-hmm. and so we had to build everything so that it could accommodate it's a place where no matter what level of engagement or awareness or history you know if you know every single frame of every single film and every single line of every single book you know there's stuff for you there but if you're if you are you know one of those people who are like have trouble telling the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek, it still is a place where you feel like this is cool. I get what's happening here. Um, you know, I feel like I've been transported and I'm having a good time. Yeah. Um, and it, even if you just want to like sit and, you know, drink your, drink your, <laughs> your space cocktail, like a dad and, and just watch, watch the galaxy roll by, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. if you decide you want to go deeper and you want to help out the resistance and, 
or, or, or how about the first order if you're feeling like you want to do that. So, you know, there's opportunities for you to kind of like go deeper, not, not only go deeper into backstories and the stories that have led up to all of that stuff, but, but, but opportunities for you to engage, you know, while you're there. And now, as you've kind of said, you know, we're, we're opening up the opportunities for you to engage in those stories and those places and lands in other mediums as well. I'm curious now of the the future of Galaxy's Edge because, for instance, the land is now, I mean, complete to the point where we have Rise of the Resistance and it really does feel like this example of what Galaxy's Edge is, which is the cutting edge, uh, but also story-focused and thrilling and a really important part of a, of a larger Star Wars story. I'd love to talk a little bit about building Rise of Resistance and kind of any challenges that you might have faced during that, especially like if the land was already open uh, and you were having to to now create something that was on that level and, and far beyond. Yeah, I mean, Rise of the Resistance is, I think, you know, is unique in our, well, probably in the world for, for a number of reasons. One, you know, it is a different kind of model for experience slightly, right? In terms of how it plays out, it's, it has more of a, you know, a multi-act structure to it than I think a typical theme park attraction or theme park story might. Um, it uh, is uh, immersive in ways that, that attractions typically aren't, as, at least, uh, you know, not to the same level that Rise is or that Rise hopes to be for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, again, Sadly, I mean, the, the, the sad truth of it is that at, at Disney, we, we don't actually know how to wield magic, sadly. <laughs> um, so we have, to fake, we, have to, we have to fake that with technology, right? And so our proxy for, you know, I mean, I'm a big fan of that kind of, that Arthur C. Clarke quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. <laughs> that is how we make our magic, right? Mm-hmm. We, we apply cutting edge technology or invent cutting edge technology to be able to, to provide experiences you couldn't possibly ha- be having, but you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that is something in like Rise of the Resistance where we actually marry up multiple kind of traditional ride systems into one Swiss watch complexity of, you know, constantly in motion interaction um, or something like Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, where we invented an, a new way to think about generating, you know, near cinematic quality, real time graphics, and then and then and then partnered with, you know, some hardcore engineering companies to make the to make that true. You know, I mean, that's just kind of what we what we do now. As you kind of alluded, though, you know, at the at the, the heart of all that stuff is 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 a commitment to story and a commitment to telling stories well. So my hope is, or our hope would be that when you're having those experiences, you're not thinking about the technology. You're not thinking about how difficult it was to create this. You're not thinking about the Swiss watch. You're just thinking, you know, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this mess? Or, oh my gosh, you know, let's go do that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we want you focused on having fun. We want you focused on, on engaging and believing and not as much focused on the, wait, how does this work now? What's the technology behind it? What, you know, how big is this thing? And how many of these things are there? And uh, right. I mean, now, obviously, fans of the, of the kind of the, the art form of creating these immersive experiences are, 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 are very much interested in that stuff. And I, I'm, I, as one of those people, am t- interested in that stuff, too. So I'm always like, love celebrating, you know, the kind of technical achievements and the creative achievements of, of you know, of people who are doing great work. But I'm also like, I'm also the first one to kind of go like, 
you know, my, my first experience on something, I'm, I'm 100% committed to not picking something apart on how it works and just kind of being a, you know, just like, let me in, let me experience this the way, you know, the way it was intended to, like as a, as a lay person. I mean, all of this is hard. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. I would love to kind of end this on the legacy that you see Galaxy's Edge, whether, you know, now, now that we're moving into the hotel and we're talking about Tales from Galaxy's Edge and further expansions, what would you hope would be the land's legacy in, let's say, a decade, looking back? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I would hope is that, is that we, it does not, uh, that people don't think of the galactic Star Cruiser as a hotel. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a hotel. I know I, it, it is. It is hard to put a label on something that has never existed in the world, or at least, or at least that hasn't existed. I, I'd actually I, I, has not existed in any kind of mainstream way in the world. I would say so. It's hard to put a label on it and kind of go, oh, it's a this, um, because I think you know it is. It's a new thing, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not a hotel. Do you sleep on the ship? Yes. Do you eat on the ship? Yes. <laughs> but it is not a. Right. It is a it is a it is a full experience of you know an opportunity to kind of like I mean I actually think it's a great it's a great evolution of what you know what hopefully Galaxy's Edge is for people and will continue to be for people which is you know it's an opportunity to kind of like spend a couple of hours in the world of Star Wars you know engaging in a Star Wars story to to the extent you want and, and Galactic Star Cruiser that experience is going to invite you to do the same thing for a couple of days. Uh-huh. Right to kind of live inside the world of Star Wars on this, you know, as a passenger aboard this, you know, glamorous star cruiser. <laughs> as you can imagine, it's a it's an interesting time in the galaxy, and your cruise might find itself in the center of some adventure. <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> you know. So you know, if you're invited to come down to the engineering room or up to the bridge to learn how to use some of the ships, you know, defensive systems or to kind of learn the ins and outs of how the ship works or maybe who are some of the other passengers aboard, what their story is. I'm just saying, you know, it might behoove you to kind of like take advantage of those those opportunities because you never know when they're going to come come in handy. <laughs> or if your dad just wants to kind of hang out in the, you know, in the onboard cantina drinking a, you know, drinking a cocktail. Right. Also great. Also there. <laughs> Also great. I mean, obviously, I can't wait. I'm sure a lot of people are in that same boat where it, it is, you know, Imagineering proved that they can transport you to Star Wars for an afternoon. And now having the opportunity to, to really live in Star Wars even longer is is now <laughs> more of a treat than ever before. So, I mean, to close, really, I, I kind of laid it out in my mind. And, and this is not just like my point of view. It's It's for a lot of people where, you know, we have these chronologically really impactful moments especially like with e-tickets and with how theme parks are, are thought of and, and, and built. And, you know, it goes from like Star Tours to then you have the Indiana Jones ride and then you have Spider-Man and Mummy and Harry Potter and then now Galaxy's Edge and especially Rise of the Resistance. Where do you see the future of e-tickets going and even theme parks and being immersive in general? Um, where would you hope that goes? And, and where do you kind of see where the audience is, is leaning towards as we move into the next, again, decade or so? Yeah. Um, well, that's a list that's hard to be objective about. Because um, you're on half since, of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of those like, have been lucky enough to work with some really amazing teams to kind of create. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess what I would say is the, the world continues to evolve and give us, you know, opportunities to, to create new 
new experiences that I think I think we will see. You know, obviously, we will always be looking for ways to leverage and to some extent even misuse new technologies, right? Like technologies, you know, even taking the examples you gave, you know, the, you know, the technologies that were created to do flight simulator training, right? We're able to be kind of be, you know, co-opted and misused to create star tours or, you know, the, 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 the facility that built uh, a little behind the scenes here, the facility that built the turntables that we use to deliver part of the Millennium Falcon experience, right? That, you know, literally next, you know, you know, 20 feet away from where we were building those, that equipment was equipment for a, a experimental fission reactor that's being <laughs> built next door, right? Using the same, you know, using the same techniques. And right. so, so, you know, our ability to kind of like take cool new technologies, push them to the edge, or use them in ways that weren't anticipated. That will continue to give us oppor- you know, opportunities to tell new and tell new stories and tell them in novel ways. I also think that we'll continue to see this push towards less one-size-fits-all experiences and to give our guests an opportunity to have more um, say and choice. In, mm-hmm. in not only what experiences they're having, but also in, in, in how those kind of play out um, over the course of a day or a week um, and, and to continue the evolution of, hopefully, of inviting people to be um, not just nameless, faceless spectators, um, but to be more of a, you know, to have an invitation to become more a part of the story, to become more a part of um, to become more visible, I guess I would say, more empowered, maybe is the right way to say it in these in these stories. And you know, and I think Galactic Star Cruiser is a, is a good example of that, right? And, and actually, one more thing that Galactic Star Cruiser does, which is while we're building these great experiences that invite you to get closer to some of the characters you love and to spend time in these story worlds that you love, uh, more and more, I think we have an opportunity to create experiences that invite you to reflect on where those experiences can be cat- a catalyst for an experience with the people you love. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, a lot of times you, you gave the example of you came to the park with your, with your dad, right. People do co- tend to come with family members or friends or people they care about and being able to create experiences that strengthen uh, the relationship between the participants so that the experience kind of can more focus the participants, the audience, towards each other versus just kind of having them have a parallel experience where they're, you know, sitting next to each other, standing next to each other, watching, watching the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, more, more opportunities for them to interact, not just with the characters and stories, but also to interact with each other. I mean, ultimately, ultimately the people we love and care about are the ones we want to make memories with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so finding better, cooler, stronger ways to help our guests, make memories with the people they care about that will last a lifetime. I feel like that's kind of also kind of continues to be part of the, you know, just over the horizon goal. Yeah, no, I love that. Especially, I mean, because being able to go to Galaxy's Edge with me and my two little brothers and my parents who took us to see Star Wars and has been part of our lives for three decades, it really was kind of this incredible experience to be able to fly the Millennium Falcon and and build a lightsaber together and and kind of bond that way. And so for that, I thank you. And for coming on the show, I thank you. And and Mr. Trowbridge, thank you very much for for this time. And it's much appreciated. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love, I mean, look, we, we, 
like I said earlier, this this is all really hard work and a lot of it's a real kind of pain. So it has to be worth doing. And whenever we, you know, the the entire team, we stayed laser focused on the fans as the people we were primarily doing this for, right? And I think we are fans of Star Wars and these worlds. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, that we were doing right by as well as we could, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we definitely, you know, and of course, not everything is perfect all the time, but at, at, at every at every juncture, we were thinking, you know, we were trying to stay close to the fan base, try to try to understand what our fans would want. Um, and, you know, they've given so much, our, our, our Star Wars fans have given so much love to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. We really wanted, you know, over the decades, we really wanted to make it feel, you know, as much as we can that we were kind of giving some of that love as much as we could back to the fans. So I'm, I'm super happy to, Super happy to talk to the fans anytime I get that opportunity because a they are my people um, and and b I just want them to know how much you know I mean I really do do believe and I I've worked with other franchises and other kind of big story story worlds in the past but I kind of feel like the you know the Star Wars fan is unique in that it is so much of the strength and the vitality of the franchise for lack of a better word is because of fan engagement and because of the fan, you know, fan participation. So any, any chance to kind of like celebrate that I'm, I'm, I'm down to that. Again, to Mr. Trowbridge for his time and incredible insight into building Batu, And a special thanks as well to Kevin at Disney Imagineering for his help coordinating and making this all possible. And a quick announcement, since August would have been a time for us all to meet at Star Wars Celebration and I would have had swag to get out to you all, I'm instead giving away a ton of rare signed stuff online instead. Head to our Twitter account to see how you can win by just leaving a five-star review this month for the show. That's all for this week. Until next Wednesday, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.